Good morning. We are jumping from 1 Samuel directly into 2 Samuel. So if, if 1 Samuel was not your thing, it is going to be just the same. We are about to read three of the most <laughs> interesting chapters probably in the entire Bible as far as intrigue and war and, um, and you know, politics, if that's your thing. So where are we at? So here's our timeline. So 2000 BC, so that's like 4,000 years ago, long time ago. This is the time of the patriarchs. We are around 1000 BC right now. And, and again, I should say all of the dates here are not secure. You shouldn't take these um, <clears throat> too literally. I think we're in the ballpark. Like if, if, if you were to ask a, a biblical scholar, you know, when did, when did the king known as David rule the people of Israel? It was around 1000 BC. It wasn't 2000 BC and it wasn't 5 BC. Um, but I think we're definitely in the ballpark here. And then, of course, we have another thousand years to go before Jesus of Nazareth is born. So that gives you some kind of context into when we're talking. Talking about the early Iron Age in Palestine. I haven't drawn my map, but that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the period we're in when men and women are learning to harness the power of iron and steel. <clears throat> so we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to try and get through three chapters today because I want to make, make sure that this class is focused on the content of the Bible and the scriptures, and we're getting a lot of good scripture reading in, and also because it's fascinating, and it's kind of one of those, those page turners, you can't really stop. And so I, I don't want to just stop in the middle. So why don't we go ahead and jump right in. Just quick recap. Last chapter, which was uh, 1 Samuel 31, um, Saul is dead. Saul, the first truly anointed king of Israel, has died on the battlefield by his own sword. He's fallen on his own sword. His son Jonathan is dead. Um, it seems as though he ha- all of his sons have died except for one, and we'll talk more about that uh, soon. <clears throat> and so it's chaos. The Philistines have essentially routed the Israelites. The Israelites are on the run. The Israelite army has been decimated. And in the middle of all of this, David has been, uh, you know, prior to this, probably a few years before this, has been anointed as the true next king of Israel by Samuel, the last judge of Israel, a prophet, a man of God. And so God himself has anointed David to be the next king of Israel. So let's pick that up. Second Samuel chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 27. Who would like to read that for me? Thank you, sir. About after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that David remained two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul, with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And it came about when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. Then David said to him, From where do you come? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. David said to him, How did things go? Please tell me. And he said, The people have fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots of the horsemen pursued him closely. When he looked Behind him he saw me and called to me, and I said, Here am I. He said to me, Who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. <clears throat> then he said to me, Please stand beside me and kill me, for agony has seized me, because my life still lingers in me. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I knew that he had, could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was on his head and the bracelet which was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. 
Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so also did all the men who were with him. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. Then David said to him, How is it you are not afraid to stretch out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go cut him down. So he struck him and he died. David said to him, Your blood is on your head, for your mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Then David chanted with with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, his son, and he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How, how have the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will, will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. O mountains of Gilboa, let not dew or rain beyond you, nor fields of offerings. For, they, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul was anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life, and in their death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How have the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Jonathan is slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. How have the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? Isn't it amazing how history can have rose-colored goggles applied to it? Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and gracious. Mm. Amazing. They treated you all so well. Yeah. Just gave you everything you ever wanted. What are your thoughts about this chapter? He is so pol- he is such a politician at this point anyway. Yep. Just Was it the one that they jammed the spear in the guy behind him? They were coming to that. Okay, I yeah. read them, so. Yep, they <coughs> were coming to that. What's well, amazing, this guy that was chased David for, you know, two years or whatever yeah. it was, mm-hmm. to kill him. And, I mean, all that David went through all that time, mm-hmm. having to sell his soul to the enemy and, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff because of Saul. Mm-hmm. And now he's sitting there, you know. I, I think he recognized what, Saul was to the people, mm-hmm. you know, and even though he had different feelings about him, was able to kind of say, hey, you know, I know you're weeping. You know, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. I thought Saul killed himself. <laughs> so then I was confused there. So what do you think's happened here? He either didn't die. Or this guy's making it up. Like, either didn't quite finish the job, or this guy's making it up. I think this this guy 
you know, he's an Amalekite, right? So he's not fighting with Israel. If anything, he's an enemy of Israel. Yep. Um, he's probably some battlefield scavenger. Mm-hmm. Came upon Saul. See, obviously, came upon Saul most likely after Saul was dead, and so yep. he grabs his crown yep. and takes his stuff. Mm-hmm. David, you know, this from the Amalekite standpoint, David is not part of Saul's group. David is fighting with the enemy. Yes. So the Amalekite thinks, I'm going to get some brownie points here. Yep. I'm going to tell him I killed the king, and he's going to, you know, reward me and put, you know, do great things for me. Well, that <laughs> kind of backfired on him. Kind so of he did. lies about <laughs> killing the king, and David's mm-hmm. like, Killed the king, you die. Mm-hmm. Off he goes. Well, he David him. fighting the Amalekites. He, he yes, and out. so this is this is the the height of irony, right? Uh, he killed him, didn't he? David killed him. Didn't David he? had him killed. Yep, David had him yeah. killed. And uh, but like yep. you know, this guy, he's like any other person would have reacted with giving me presents and yes. praising me, and David is. Like, I think that's why he's like a type of Christ, right? Because mm-hmm. Jesus also did stuff that we wouldn't expect, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so David is kind of that way mm-hmm. where he just does stuff that is not quite uh, what people would think you would do. You know? That's an understatement. That's it. That's exactly it. But he's very, that's very smart, though, because, mm-hmm. like, you don't want <coughs> to set a precedent that killing kings is okay. Um, like, I don't know, I've been listening to the history of the kings of England, and, you know, somebody does something that yeah. sets a precedent, and then they are like, oh, we can start killing kings and then putting in new ones. And Oh, you just have to turn a few pages, yeah. folks. As soon as yeah. you get into First and Second Kings, you'll see exactly that things start to happen, where one will get assassinated, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is, this is a thing? Let's, let's do it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see the reigns go from like 30, 40 years to one, two years, months. Yep. Happened in Rome. Look, folks. Yeah, nothing is new under the sun. Oh, right. Of course, yeah. it's it's okay to cheat on an election. You know, I mean, the, good example today of, of well, it's okay now, but it's not going to be okay in four years. It wasn't okay four years ago. That's exa- it's it's exactly it. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. We've always been, obviously. I think it's hard for people to look at the world around us, and, and, and I'm guilty of this. I kind of, you know, grow up, you think the world is a certain way, and maybe you're sold a certain, like, image of the way you think the world works, and all these churches are full of God-fearing Christians, and, you know, the government is run by righteous people trying to clean up corruption, and then when these things start to happen around you, and you start to realize, mm, they've always been broken, I've just been lied to. We, we all run through life trying to grasp onto some gra- some some morsel, even, of... Yeah justification yep. for what I want. Yep. For what I want, what I did, what I did, yep. what I want to do. If I can look around and see, oh, I see Steve Cruz is you know, doing this on Thursday afternoons. Well, I can go home and take a nap, too. Or, whatever, you know, <laughs> or, the, skip out or the opposite, <coughs> which is I'm willing, to, <laughs> yeah, I'm willing to forgive all manner of horrible choices in someone because I want them to repre- I want them to represent who I am as a person. Look, people don't vote for politicians because objectively on paper they are the best qualified candidate. When has that happened? Yeah. In the history of the United States when has that happened? No. People vote for candidates for office because they feel that they personify who they want to be or that they relate to them 
or want to relate to them. I want to relate to this person. I want them to do certain things. And I am willing to forgive the most horrible of crimes that they've also committed in order to do that. Things, folks, things were exactly the same 3,000 years ago. And by the way, <laughs> look what this guy did, you know. And the same forever. The point you know, in, in spite of all this, yeah. David held the office of the king in high respect in spite of everything Saul did to yeah. deserve mm -hmm. David yeah. being disloyal to him. He never was. And maybe that's something we can take from this as and he's, well. He's still waiting on God's timing and when it was going to be his time. You know, it's exactly right, Steve. You know, you look at the at the world, you look at what David just did here, you're like, how many modern leaders would, would do that? They would have jumped right on the bad wagon and said, yeah, thank you, you're right, that guy was awful. It's pretty remarkable. And David, on many occasions, he his life was in danger. He was going to be killed by Saul. And yet, when David had the chance to end things or allow other people to end it for him, he stopped it. That's like foreign to us today. It's like a good practical example of how, you know, it says to love our enemies and yes. to, um, yes. you know, when they hurt you that you're supposed to like, um, keep, you know, being nice to them is bur keeping yep. burning coals on their head, right? It is, it and that's is, a, it is. A good example. Your enemy expects you to retaliate, seek revenge, yeah. harm them back. And when you don't, when you don't, you will be like David. You will do something that they, as so far out of left field, they never would have seen that coming. Ever. Um, <clears throat> let's do chapter 2, verses 1 through 32. Who can do that for me? I can do that one. Did Thanks. you want to talk about the book of whatever? Um, I'll make a comment about this. So there are several extra-biblical texts <coughs> mentioned in the Bible. Apocryphal works are cited as well. In fact, the Book of Enoch, which is a, an apocryphal New Testament writing, is cited in the New Testament by one of the New Testament authors. Side note, in the Old Testament, there are several extra-biblical texts that are, that are cited as sources for some of the work that you're reading here. The Book of Jasher is one of them. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the only one in the Old Testament that's mentioned that we still think we know what it is. All of the other ones have been lost to history. Just FYI. Um, <clears throat> Later, David prayed to the Lord, saying, Should I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to David, Go. David answered, Where should I go? Da the Lord answered, To Hebron. So David went up to he Hebron with his two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel. David also brought his men and their families, and they all made their homes in the cities of he Hebron. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron and appointed David king of Judah. They told David that the men of Jabesh-Gilead had buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, The Lord bless you. You have shown loyalty to your master Saul by burying him. May the Lord now be true and loyal to you. I will also treat you well because you have done this. Now be strong and brave. Saul, your master, is dead, and the people of Judah have appointed me their king. Abner, son of Ner, was a commander of Saul's army. Abner took Saul's son, Ishbosheth to Mahan... Mah Mahanaim, and made him king of Gilead, Ashuri, Jezreel, Ephraim, Benjamin, and all of Israel. Saul's son Ishbosheth was forty years old when he became king over Israel, and he ruled for two years. But the people of Judah followed David. 
David was king in Hebron for seven years and six months. Abner, son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, left Mahanim and went to Gibeon. Joab, son of Zeruah, and David's men also went there and met Abner and Ishbosheth's men at the pool of Gibeon. Abner's group sat on one side of the pool, and Joab's group sat on the other. Abner said to Joab, Let the young men have a contest here. Joab said, Yes, let, let them have a contest. And then the men got up and were counted. Twelve from the people of Benjamin for Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and twelve from David's men. Each man grabbed one opposite him by the head and stabbed him in the side with a knife. So the men fell down together, and for that reason, the, that place in Gibeon is called the Field of Knives. That day there was a terrible battle, and David's men defeated Abner and the Israelites. Zeruah's three sons, Joab, Abishai, and Ashiel, were there. Now Ashiel was a fast runner, as fast as a deer in the field. Ashiel chased Abner, going straight toward him. <coughs> Abner looked back and said, Is that you, Ashiel? Ashiel said, Yes, it is. Then Abner said to Ashiel, Turn your left... Oh, turn to your right or left and catch one of the young men and take his armor. But Asiel refused to stop chasing him. Abner said again to Asiel, Stop chasing me. If you don't stop, I'll have to kill you. Then I won't be able to face your brother Joab again. But Asiel refused to stop chasing Abner. So using the back end of his spear, Abner stabbed Asiel in the stomach and the spear came out of his back. Asiel died right there and everyone stopped when they came to the place where his body lay. But Joab and Abishai continued chasing Abner. As the sun was going down, they arrived at the hill of Ammon near Gia on the way to the desert near Gibeon. The men of Benjamin came to Abner and all stood together at the top of the hill. Abner shouted to Joab, Must the sword kill forever? Surely you must know this will only end in sadness. Tell the people to stop chasing their own brothers. Then Joab said, As surely as God lives, if you had not said anything, the people would have chased their brothers until morning. Then Joab blew a trumpet, and his people stopped chasing the Israelites. They did not fight them anymore. <coughs> Abner and his men marched all night through the Jordan Valley. They crossed the Jordan River after marching all day and arrived at Mahanim. <coughs> after he had stopped chasing Abner, Joab came back and gathered the people together. Asahel and 19 of David's men were missing, but David's men had killed 360 Benjaminites who had followed Abner. David's men took Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father at Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men marched all night. The sun came up as they reached Hebron. This is free, and you can read how <laughs> it, it, an exciting story here. What, what, is your, uh, what is your reaction to this? Very bloody. <laughs> bloody object lesson. Yeah. Why? Like... Like they use the physical brothers chasing each other as yeah. a to say, "Hey, ah. let's quit fighting amongst us." Because okay. yep. this could just go on forever. We have civil war, folks. This is a civil war, whether you want to admit it or not. It breaks out. Why? Because <laughs> power vacuum, right? Now, <clears throat> it's important to note here. <clears throat> first of all, what do you notice about David in the very beginning of chapter two? What does he do? To know what to do. He asked God. Mm -hmm. What a novel thing to do. <laughs> now as soon as this happens, the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Okay, 
Full stop. Let's, let's review what has just happened here. <clears throat> if you'll remember back to 1 Samuel, you'll recall that God himself, through Samuel, the prophet, anointed David, the king, over all of God's people, all 12 tribes of Israel. What has happened here is the men themselves are now recognizing that. But it's only the men of Judah. <clears throat> so let's, quick history lesson here. There are 12 tribes of the people of Israel, <laughs> descendants of Jacob, who inhabit this region that we call Israel. Um, it's also called Palestine uh, and, or Canaan. There are 10 tribes of the north that we call Israel. And it's very confusing, but just stay with me. So 10 tribes of the northern uh, kingdom called Israel, and there are two tribes in the south called Judah. The men of Judah have recognized David as their king, and that was pretty easy. Um, however, the, the men of Israel have not. The men of Israel are still clinging to this hope that the descendants of Saul, who is now essentially a puppet of this general, will rule the whole nation, and so civil war breaks out. But it's important to remember that David was already anointed by God himself as the king. This is not a second anointing. This is, this is just kind of a public acknowledgement of that. So, what else, what else did you take from this? I have a note written down that says, why did David allow this? As uh -huh. in, the other guy was uh, Saul's son, uh, was four years old, and he reigned, he reigned for two years. It seemed like, you know, obviously David knew he was anointed. Yeah. But he's, I think he always felt like, I'll do it in God's timing, not my timing. Mm -hmm. I'll be king over all of Israel at some point. Mm -hmm. But you know, maybe David had a side talk with God, and it's not recorded here. But mm -hmm. um, but you know, it doesn't say David wondered why mm -hmm. why the soul. I mean, David didn't David didn't come out and just start telling all the souls. Yeah. family members. Normally, when a mm -hmm. a king dies, everybody mm -hmm. gets killed. Mm -hmm. We talked about before. That's it. That's exactly it. Wipe out the competition. I think that's fair. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good point um, that sometimes there's a lot more going on that is actually recorded in the text that we have here. Uh, but what you don't see, and, and to your point, Tim, is um, David going out and 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 you know assaulting the opposition. He he's actually trying to win their hearts and minds. Look at this. Look at how hard David is working to win the hearts and minds of the people. Um, you know. The people of Jabesh Gilead. Look at he. You know he, he's he's sweet talking them. He's sweet talking them, right? <clears throat> what, what's the that, that caught me off guard? What was the big deal about burying him? Okay, this you, is a good one. You are so yep. you're so kind that you buried him. Um, <laughs> rewind. Because it gets at this. You may have seen this Zeruia and been like, wait a minute, record stop. Well, what's going on here? Why is Zeruia mentioned? Who is that? Uh, who are these three dudes? Why is that so important? If you go to First Chronicles, um, what is it, 2 verse 13, you'll find out that Zeruia is David's sister. She is one of the daughters, or it could be a stepdaughter, of Jesse. Well, that means that those three dudes are David's nephews. So again, we have a big family thing going on here, right? So, so I think this is the connection, and you might miss that if, you know, um, it's not really explained here. <clears throat> um, the other thing that you'll find, 
is that if you read this First Chronicles passage, you'll also find that David has another sister named Abigail. Now, before you get all excited about what that means, because he has a wife named Abigail, it's pretty certain that this is not the same woman who is his wife right now. In antiquity, it would happen, and we know from Genesis that it did happen, that sometimes your stepsister or half-sister could become your wife. It does not seem as if that has happened here. Most, most scholars are pretty sure they just have two people with the same name, just like it happens in the New Testament too. Um, but it's just kind of an interesting connection there. It's also interesting as we start to read forward, because of that connection to David, it starts to make more sense why David isn't wiping those guys out. You know, he keeps them alive. He tries to. Well, I think the whole thing of burying Saul really mm-hmm. comes down to, you know, what's the, the most disgraceful way for a body to be disposed of? You know, let the, the animals and the birds of the air yeah. pick its flesh. And, you know, Saul is already <clears throat> defiled by having his head cut yeah. off. So I think that, you know, it was, you know, honoring Saul through what God's plan was for, uh, you know, what, what the custom of that time was to actually bury a body <clears throat> Yeah, that's the law. I mean, technically, if we're talking specifically about the burial itself, you had to bury the body. I mean, that was that was Jewish law of the time. If you followed the Torah, you had to do that. Absolutely right. There's so much going on here. What else do you take from this? Looks like, again, David is is outmatching his opponents. If you see here, um, again, (laughs) history is written by the victors, but I do believe this is authentic, that David's men, you know, there was only a few few of them killed, but there was... um, what, 360 of the enemy who were slaughtered. Again, this is God's people, folks. This is a civil war. God's people are killing each other. Well, it's interesting, too, that David's, the 12 that they picked from David had knives. It doesn't sound like the ones from Saul, because in, in Trisha's version, it said they were going to have a fist fight. And they brought knives to a fist fight and just stabbed the other ones. So. Possible. I would say it's it's always good to caution yourself against the reading interpretation of the text because I believe the Hebrew word for dagger is the same as like aggression or something and so I think you've got to be careful because sometimes it's hard to understand what they were really saying were they really daggers or were they just you know Mm -hmm. the same word can mean three different things but uh, you know someone died Yeah. <laughs> whether whether they had a knife or not, right? The house of Saul and the house of David, David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in, in Hebron. <clears throat> His firstborn was Am, Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Kiliab, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third, Absalom, the son of Makkah, daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth, Adinojah, the son of Higgath, the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithriam, the son of David's wife, Egla. It's kind of like when you watch the commercials and all the medicine. Yeah. Born to David in Hebron. 
During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, in the house of Saul. Now Saul had had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Ai, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why do you sleep with my father's concubine? Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth had said. So he answered, I, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David. Yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman? May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner, because he was afraid of him. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David, I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, uh, Michelle, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife, Michelle, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her weeping behind her all the way to Bahiram. Then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back. Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it, for the Lord promised David, By my servant David I will rescue my people Israel from the, land, from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. Then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole tribe of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had twenty men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, Let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord the king, so that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then, David's men and Joab returned from a raid and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron, because David had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the soldiers with him arrived, he was told that Abner, son of Ner, had come to the king, and that the king had sent him away, and that he had gone in peace. So Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why did you let him go? Now he is gone. You know Abner, son of Ner, he came to deceive you and observe your movements and find out everything you're doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the, the cistern at Sirah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into an inner chamber as if to speak with him privately. And there, to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach, and he died. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall on the head of Joab and on his whole family. May Joab's family never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy, or who leans on a crutch, or who falls by the sword, or who lacks food. Joab and his brother Abishai murdered Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel in the, in the battle at Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people with him, 
Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and walk in mourning in front of Abner. King David himself walked behind the, the bier. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king wept aloud at Abner's tomb. All the people wept also. The king sang this lament for Abner. Should Abner have died as the lawless die? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. You fell as one falls before the wicked. And all the people wept over him again. Then they all came and urged David to eat something while it was still day. But David took an oath, saying, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun sets. All the people took note and were pleased. Indeed, everything the king did pleased them. So on that day, all the people there and all Israel knew that the king had no part in the murder of Abner, son of Ner. Then the king said to his men, Do you not realize that a commander and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? And today, though I am anointed king, I am weak, and these sons of Zeruah are too strong for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil deeds. Thank you. Excellent job, as always. Now, you may have started chapter 3 and gone, whoa, 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 time out, huh? Look at all these people that David has had children with. Well, a lot of them don't sound like his wives. Uh, and it goes on and on. So for you, you're welcome. I made a list. <laughs> These are all the sons of David that we know about that are mentioned in the Bible. You can take a look if you want to and pass that around, but it's uh, kind of helpful because it kind of illustrates that, uh, you know, David got around. Um, <clears throat> and it kind, of, it kind of illustrates, you know, illuminates a little bit of, of the chaos that's about to ensue towards the end of 2 Samuel and beginning of 1 Kings. Um, because when you do this kind of thing, you create a lot of chaos in the succession of your line in which there's going to be a lot of people who are kind of fighting. <laughs> and, and Laura going through, you know, kind of the history of, of medieval England. Uh, that this thing happens, right? Everyone is kind of saying that they have a, a claim to the throne. You'll see Solomon is pretty far down on that list, folks. He's not the firstborn of David by any stretch. Um, Solomon won't be born for years. <clears throat> um, what do you think of that? What, is, what does that tell you? Are you saying Abner was David's son? You're not no, Abner is not David's son. I didn't think no, so. Uh-uh. No. I mean, Amnon. Not Abner. What's that? I just, God uses all people. Yep. They're human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, and I don't know what the answer is, <laughs> I do think people get caught up <clears throat> if they don't study the Bible or don't understand what the Bible is about. Love story. Yeah. Posted that. And, you know, that they're like, well, look, I don't know. It must be okay to have multiple wives. And they get caught, they get caught up on that thinking or, and then throw the Bible out because they think that the people, the people are holy, righteous, whatever. And, you know, I saw a thing in the news recently again. I saw a thing in the news because I was searching for something else and a news story popped up and I'm like, don't do that to me. I don't, I don't read the news. I know a lot about the universe and how it works. I don't need the news to tell me how the universe works, folks. You don't need the news to tell you how to think. However, because they slipped it in and they knew that what they were doing when I was looking for something else, I was, lo- I, was, I was researching stuff about Leviticus and about the mandate for Jubilee. And of course, if you know about Leviticus and you know about Jubilee, you know that after 49 years, it was mandated by God that all Israelites were supposed to forgive debts 
of those of fellow Israelites. And if you had land that didn't belong to you because someone was in debt um, and you got their land out of it, you had to give it back. So basically all debt is forgiven. And of course, you know, I saw this article and it was from a very prominent news organization that said, well, it's okay in Leviticus that we absolve de- that they absolve debts. So, so the government of the United States should just absolve all debts for all people this year and just start over. And I was thinking to myself, no matter what you think about politics for a moment, that is a perfect example of someone who knows nothing of the Holy Scriptures. Having someone tell them, oh, have you ever heard of Jubilee? Oh, really? Where's that? I've never heard of that before. And using a a site completely out of context to justify their political beliefs. Folks, this has happened since the beginning of time that people will take out of context pieces of the Holy Scriptures and use them for their own corrupt agenda. You're absolutely right, Angela. This is exactly what happens. Someone may turn to... 2 Samuel 3, you know, why they would turn to it. And, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're stuck in a hotel room and the power goes out and there's, the, you know, the Gideon Bible. Well, not that because that's the New Testament, but they, they find something else in there and they read 2 Samuel. Oh, look, this guy David, who everyone thinks is so great, had all these, you know, children from all these different women. It must be okay. What is the danger of doing that? <laughs> what is the danger of doing that? Well, if you like... Look at Deuteronomy 17. It says um, how the king should behave. Like it's like, don't you're going to choose a king? I don't want you to have a king. But if you do have a king, he says, um, like it has to be an Israelite. They must not have too many horses. You can't go to Egypt for horses because we said don't go back to Egypt. Don't. Uh, you must not have too many wives. You must not have too much silver and gold. So like, there's things that God has already said like a king should do and. If you like look at all the kings of Israel, basically, they've. If you look at from Deuteronomy 17, they've pretty much they break every single thing that God says a king should be. Hey, so again, yeah, yep. David had a lot of wives, but God told them in Deuteronomy, <clears throat> do not have too many wives, as if you're the king. Hey, guess what? Even in the first century, people were taking the Old Testament out of context. The perfect example of this is Jesus himself. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked, well. If a woman is divorced seven times and, you know, the men and each man of, the, of those men die and, and, and that woman goes to heaven, whose wife is she? And Jesus, basically doing the spiritual slap on all their faces, says, have you not read the Holy Scriptures? Where it says that there will be no marriage between a man and a woman in heaven. And also, they, they get him on the thing about, well, Moses said that you could have a certificate of divorce. Jesus says very clearly there, you're taking the Old Testament of, out of context. He says, God allowed Moses to give a certificate of divorce because you are corrupt. It is not God's fulfilled wish that anyone ever gets divorced. But he, out of his grace, allowed it to happen because he knew how much chaos there would be if he didn't. God is very clear here. He has expectations for your life. He doesn't want you to do these things. He did not want David to have 47 different concubines, 11 different wives, and 100 different children. That was not his plan. And even when he does have something in Deuteronomy that says you should not have too many wives, what he's really saying is you shouldn't have more than one wife. (laughs) You shouldn't. And what happens when you do? Horrible things happen. Now, again, I, you know, I kind of get back off my soapbox and say, read the Bible. Don't take individual sentences out of 
context. Read the, the entirety of the whole thing. My brother-in-law, shout out to him, he's talking about someone in his church, who keeps going back on this Calvinist thing about, well, you know, Romans 8 says that we're all predestined to either go to heaven or go to hell, so it doesn't matter what we do. And that is dead wrong, folks, dead wrong. If you read the entire Bible, Calvinism is completely wrong. It is, it is your choice. And yet, that is a perfect example of someone just kind of picking and choosing. Oh, I'm going to say, you know, Romans 8. So I don't really have to evangelize, and I don't have to really try hard. God's going to decide anyway. Bullcrap. Okay. <laughs> off, off my soapbox. Perspective for me, the previous, I can't find it here, but it said that David loved Jonathan more than he loved women. And then I read all that, and I'm like, man, he loved Jonathan a lot, because he obviously... <laughs> yes. I mean... We talk about David and Jonathan's relationship a lot, and I look, I, I kind of go, how much do we really know? But then when we see a statement like that, and then he's got 19 sons with, I mean, he obviously loved women, no doubt about it. Well, we never see that David went to God saying, should I have more than one wife? Why do we not go to God for certain things? Yeah, you don't want the answer. That's exactly it. Because we know the answer, folks. He's like, I'm the king. I can get whatever I want. That's it. I'm the king. Well, even though when he took that guy's wife, and I killed, yeah. and he took his wife, God said if he didn't want more, he would have given it to him. And what happened? That boy died. There's, there's repercussions, folks, for your actions, and it's not God being mean. He's got, God is saying, I have rules because this is what's best for you. And that's when God, he said God, or he would go to his son because his son couldn't come to, wouldn't come to him. He would go to his son. It's kind of amazing Sunday. because I, I do believe, Lorna, what you're getting at is true, that God is gracious. And if you go to him and seek his counsel, I mean, look what happens here. A lot of the time, a godly person will go to God and ask them for something. And you could even look at like Moses, where the first answer may not be what Moses wanted, but Moses kept up. He's like, I have to make my case here. Don't destroy the Israelites. They're, they're flawed, but they're your people, and, and they love you, and they have a hard time showing it, and God relented. God changed his mind. I think it's, it's a good point, Lorna, that he, he is flexible. <laughs> you know, he is flexible. There's something else in this. I'm going a whole different direction here. Um, you know, what's playing out with Abner and Joab? And yeah. Abner, who mm-hmm. really probably has the power in Israel, yeah, but you yeah. can see the writing on the wall, mm-hmm. and now's the time to make amends with David. Yep. You know, before it's too late, yeah. and he comes and kills me, I better join forces. Yep. But but then you've got Joab, who's got a, you know a grudge or yeah. a revenge on his mind yep. since you know the death of his <coughs> brother. brother. Mm-hmm. Um, all the while, Joab is a you know really powerful, successful military leader that David needs. Mm-hmm. So David can't control Joab. Joab's got a strong personality. And, he kind of does yep. what he wants, yep. but he's loyal to David. Here you've got Abner coming to David, trying to bring everybody together, and stupid Joab mm. goes off on his personal revenge. Yep. And now you've got the whole 
upheaval within yeah. the, the two countries joining together again. I think it's a good point, Steve, and, and probably what most of us don't understand, which is how to, when you have to lead large groups of people who all are human beings, who think for themselves, they have free will, they're not remote controlled robots, um, it's a game you play. And, and a lot of us don't even have that context because we don't have to deal with this kind of thing generally. Um, I mean, if you lead a team or you know, you, you know, you're a coach on a baseball team or something, you probably have some kind of context, but you know, it's a delicate balance, and, and I think you're, you're right. David is trying to find the right balance here between the people who he knows are going to be effective in his government for the next 40 years and trying to do what's right as well, um, trying to set a good example. Now, you can see here with the Amalekite, he, he made a real you know, big example. Don't attack the Lord's anointed, right? Don't, don't take unilateral action, but at some level, he does need Joab, and he, he needed Abner too. Um, and look how that happened. So we'll see with Abner, like it's mm -hmm. very weird. Like yeah. <laughs> it's like was he having uh, sex with the slave woman in order to like make himself seem more legit and as like maybe he should take over? Or, you know, like I think that's why Ishbosheth asked him about it because he's like, yeah. wait a minute, is he trying to position himself as a way he could become king? So I like I think he was legit in asking mm -hmm. it, but then you know Abner had way too much. I think he didn't realize like oh wait, this was going to turn Abner like against him. You know, I think Abner had the power, yeah. and he just you know taking this concubine was his way of mm -hmm. kind of thumbing his nose mm -hmm. at this king, like mm -hmm. you wimpy little figurehead. I'm the guy. That's in charge ex here. that's exactly it. Um, we'll go back all the way to Genesis. Um, who is Jacob's oldest son? Esau. Reuben. Remember what Reuben did to his father's yeah. wife slash concubine. He tried to do exactly what I think Abner was trying to do here. Now, I think you're right, Steve, that Abner probably saw this other guy as like such a complete weak figurehead. He wasn't even worth like considering. But there is a precedent in the Old Testament for... Someone who is the presumed kind of leader to come next, horning in on the, the current leader's stuff, if you want to call it that, or, you know, it was property. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not being a misogynist here, but, um, you know, I think he is trying to horn in on what was the other guys to say, I'm the guy. I'm the leader here. And look how bad it turned out for Reuben, <laughs> you know? Well, and then I think Absalom's going to try it in a little bit. Absolutely. Oh, look at our list here. We've got like three or four folks here are going to try and take charge, try and take it away from David. But right? I mean, by having sleeping mm -hmm. with David's concubine, oh, sure, sleeping sure. with David's property or whatever. Yeah. Right. So that so that's that's a historical thing, right? That's something that maybe today we don't see so much in the West, but it does happen. Okay. I sort of feel sorry for Michelle, but more so her husband. I feel I mean, yeah. the poor guy's crying. crying. Like, he doesn't want to give up his life. And he there's David doesn't have anything to do with her really yeah. for the rest. I mean, and she hates him. Well, and you notice that no no son is attributed to her, correct? Not that I know of. Now we we have like a list of I don't know, maybe maybe a dozen or so people that we're not really sure. I'm not really sure who the who, who the mother was. Um, <clears throat> maybe he didn't either. Uh, but. <laughs> but um, but yeah, not not really, not really stated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. 
also found it interesting that David chose to um, curse Joab and his family over just eliminating and yes. wiping them out for the murder of um, the, the other general. Uh-huh. It's, it's a good point. I made it earlier. It's almost like they're too important to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Because he needed a military leader. Yeah. And if he did that, then he and his two strongest military leaders are dead. Exactly. Yeah, Joab went and killed the one good guy. Mm -hmm. one, so now he's left with the one. Mm -hmm. There's almost a sense of that David somehow is getting all these other people to do all his dirty work. Like, it, it kind of doesn't seem like dirty work at the time, mm -hmm. but it, ultimately it really was. I mean, right. Because Abner was trying to I don't know, rule the north, right? Yeah. I mean, effectively was doing that. Exactly, exactly. Have someone else do it. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if David had some, some ulterior motives or if it was just convenient for him. But when he killed the Amalekite, you know, declaring that, you know, how dare you kill God's anointed one, there's a little bit of benefit to him mm -hmm. by taking such a hard line when you're the, uh, the next anointed one. Like, <laughs> Let this be known, this should never happen. <laughs> That's exactly it. Big public statement. Well, it's interesting because as far as I know, this funeral of Abner is the longest and most detailed in the entire Old Testament. <laughs> For that guy, right? <clears throat> so that says something. There's a lament and everything. Well, I just find it interesting, too, that David had them go before the casket, mm -hmm. you know, in a sign of humiliation mm -hmm. that, you know, like that. it's like, this is what I'm going to do to you and your family if you, you know, ah. go against me. So, so David's not dumb. I mean, David makes a lot of bad choices. He's also brilliant in other ways. <laughs> yes. He's also brilliant. Well, because this could turn, like, obviously the people of Israel love Abner. Yep. They think he's great, mm -hmm. you know. And then if it comes around that oh, David ordered the killing of Abner, he's going to be it's put a in trouble. a very bad way. So he makes it very clear, like <clears throat> I had nothing to do with it. Like it, they all believe it, but says all of the people understood that he did not order it. Like he played it real smart. I think I, I think it was Angela who made the comment earlier about um, people who don't really know the Bible, and maybe I'll extend that too. You know what we teach our kids in Sunday school. How many kids in Sunday school are taught chapter three in 2 Samuel? Yeah. <laughs> now, how many probably should at some point? I would argue that probably by the time they're in junior, senior high, we need to start telling them about the real truth of the Old Testament. Why? Because we need to prepare them and tell them what is actually happening here before they hear it from someone else that doesn't have any idea what this stuff means. Um, it's super, super important that we give our children the complete picture of the Bible so that when they go out into the big, scary world and they're confronted with people that know nothing of the Holy Scriptures, that pick and choose what they want, and someone says, oh, the Old Testament's all about misogyny and genocide, and, you know, David was a rapist and, and uh, Abraham was a sex trafficker, that our children can respond to that and say, no, you're dead wrong about all of that. You don't understand what you're talking about. There is, a, there is a lot more going on here. <clears throat> and also to the point that um, they're human beings. Yes. And so I think sometimes oh, we yes. put these people on a pedestal and our kids think... Oh, you're a great hero of the you Old You grow Testament. up thinking, well, I could never be they, like that. So you can't relate to them at all. 
and then when you really see them as humans you're like well god could use me because i'm i am like them you know i could have mm-hmm. moments where of greatness now they're relatable they did, laura right yeah. all of the heroes of the old testament are flawed if you made this stuff up why would you include that why would you include david's you know um philandering you would just say they were all the daughter of i don't know michelle because that was his first wife why would you say all of this the point here folks is this god has us in here for a reason Absolutely 100%. He wants you to know that you can be a hero just like all the you know, long dead people that are written about in the Holy Scriptures. Why? Because God can take something that's flawed and make something beautiful out of it. And that's the difference with David is he, he does go to God. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's flawed and he does <clears throat> wrong things and maybe you think he's doing some of these things selfishly, but they're all part of being a good leader as well. And put him in the right position where God, you know, was also wanted him. It was yeah, crafty. I love that. Love that. Um, but yeah, he continues to go to God, and yeah, I love that. That's what we all need to do. It's it's so important, and you know, um, I'll be the first to admit that I I have serious flaws. Oh my goodness gracious, you know, uh, I think what I try and do is seek God's input in my life and and pray a lot. That, you know, and listen. I mean, again, I want to, you know, read your Bible every day, pray every day, and listen to God every day. Spend a few moments not saying anything and listening to what you think God is telling you. Um, It's a two-way street. Uh, If you do that, I do believe he will bless you. And he will tell you, (laughs) whether you want to hear it or not, what you should be doing in your life. Okay. Any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Well, looking at that sheet, you know, where Bathsheba, mm-hmm. Bathsheba's line actually gets carried through, and it's Solomon, one of her mm-hmm. sons, versus all the other wives that David has had. So God still used that, um, you know, incident yes. where with David sinning, and he still brought forth his will. So, you know, God still used the events that happened in her life to... <coughs> furthered his kingdom even though it wasn't what she may have wanted so then should we sin more so that god's grace may abound more uh, there's the, there's uh, that's the, good the double-edged sword uh-huh all right i think it just shows that there's if god has a plan there's nothing can stop it like yeah like later on this guy well, yeah, Jeroboam. You know, Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam, and so does Rehoboam. They can't get him because it was God's purpose for him to be king. You know, like if it's if certain thing is God's purpose. You know, Gamaliel made the same exact comment to the um, to the Sanhedrin when they were trying to persecute Christians. He made the comment that look, if these Christians really are on the side of God, and God really is behind this, there is nothing on earth we can do to stop it. But if God is not in favor of these Christians and what they're promoting, then there's no way they're ever going to succeed. So chill out. (laughs) (laughs) Chill out. It's all going to work out. All right. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.